Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has chosen Hudson Valley Congressman Antonio Delgado to be her lieutenant governor after the previous lieutenant governor, Brian Benjamin, resigned in disgrace last month. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Today I'm announcing my nominee, my selection for the new lieutenant governor of the state of New York, Congressman Antonio Delgado. The governor's choice of a new second-in-command comes three weeks after former Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin was indicted on federal corruption charges and resigned from office. And it comes less than a day after the state legislature, at Hochul's request, approved a measure to allow a candidate who is facing criminal charges or a conviction to withdraw their name from the ballot. That allowed the state's Democratic Party to nominate Delgado to fill the vacancy and become Hochul's running mate in the June 28th primary. The Committee on Vacancies approved his name several hours ago. He will be on the ballot. And the only outstanding question is the exact timing of when he will resign from Congress, you know, give a little time for transition because he's very dedicated to his constituents and his team, and there's work to be finished before he assumes these responsibilities. The governor predicted that New Yorkers will be proud of Delgado as they get to know him better, calling him a rising star in the National Democratic Party. Delgado, who is of African-American and Cape Verdean descent, grew up in Schenectady. He left to attend Oxford on a Rhodes Scholarship, graduated from Harvard Law School, and lived in New York City for a time with his wife and twin young sons, before running successfully for his seat in Congress in 2018. It's just an honor to be able to stand here with you and do this work together. I'm excited to be partner with you and build a better future for New York. Delgado and Hochul deny that the Democratic congressman representing what is currently a competitive district might face a tough re-election race this year. He was facing a challenge from Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro. Molinaro was the Republican candidate for governor in 2018. Delgado says he considers the post of lieutenant governor a promotion, and he says he welcomes the chance to interact with more New Yorkers, especially after two years of the COVID-19 pandemic and related lockdowns and isolation. We need to reconnect and strengthen our collective bond as New Yorkers. We need to heal together and put humanity back into our interactions with one another. And I want to be a part of that healing process. Critics, including Hochul's political opponents, have condemned the special legislation allowing Hochul to replace Benjamin on the ballot, saying the governor is willing to subvert democracy by changing the ballot access rules in the middle of the election cycle in order to save her political future. Hochul says her critics are wrong. I say it's a subversion of democracy to allow the circumstance where voters are being asked to select someone who's actually said they're not running for office. I mean, that's the situation we had. And if you talk to anybody outside this universe, ask someone if they think someone who's already said they're not running, they have a legal issue they have to deal with, 
and that they're still on the ballot, no one would think that makes sense. Benjamin admitted that he failed to tell state police during a vetting process last summer that he had received a subpoena. It was in connection with an investigation by the U.S. Attorney for New York Southern District. That probe later led to the corruption charges. Hochul says this time around, her staff is more experienced and has completed a more thorough background check of Delgado. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Ian Pickus. Last summer, New York state politics underwent a seismic shift when Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned, thrusting his lieutenant governor, Kathy Hochul, into the spotlight. Now, the lieutenant governor slot is dominating headlines again after Hochul tapped Congressman Antonio Delgado of the 19th District to replace Brian Benjamin, who resigned last month after being arrested as part of a federal fraud investigation. One person who's been on both sides of this dynamic is former Governor David Patterson, who was LG from 2007 to 2008 and governor from 2008 through 2010. Patterson told me Delgado brings an impressive background to the role. The congressman in a very short period of time passed, I believe, 20 bills in the House of Representatives. He's a very dynamic speaker, uh, well regarded for his wisdom and advice to others, and has very much been popular in a short period of time serving his district. Now, it's hard from going uh, to a different venue where you're not going to be called upon as much to be a leader. You're not going to be called upon as much to make policy. Uh, You are really trying to fulfill the mission of the current governor, Kathy Hochul. And um, I went through that sort of because I was a minority leader of the Senate. Uh, We beat the Republicans in 2004 um, four times, so we were within two seats of taking the majority, and it appeared suddenly I leave that, you know, prominent post that's about to become the majority leader to be Governor Spitzer's assistant, basically. And uh, so you have to kind of um, recognize that you're going back to the days when you are at the whim of others. And uh, we talked about it, and we were actually able to make it work. And I think uh, Congressman Delgado and uh, Governor Hochul will make it work. But I'm sure Congressman Delgado, way down the road in the back of his mind, has other plans at some point. Meaning he's now a breath away from uh, being governor himself? Well, he, you know, when I ran for lieutenant governor, I wasn't thinking about the governor leaving. I just Mm -hmm. thought the governor would serve out two terms. And as I calculated in 2014, I might have the chance to run for governor. And there'd never been a blind person or an African-American that had ever done that in this state. And only one of the time did it ever happen in the country. In terms of the relationship between Delgado and Hochul, is there a natural tension between the lieutenant governor and the governor? We know, you know, Mario Cuomo, when he was governor, didn't always get along with the number two slot. And we know Andrew Cuomo, uh, it's fair to say, isolated Governor Hochul from his inner circle. How does that relationship actually work in practice in your experience? It worked very well. Uh, Governor Spitzer was not just bringing in someone who was a county executive in Westchester or, um, uh, you know, a city clerk in Buffalo. He was bringing in the minority leader of the Senate, who was two votes away from becoming the majority leader. And he treated me with that respect the whole time I was there. He gave me issues to work on, uh, public policy issues such as energy policy, 
minority and women's business enterprises, uh, domestic violence issues, and, uh, and a few other things he had me work on. Um, he allowed me to come to all the major meetings. Uh, I, you know, gave my opinion. You know, he didn't always take it, but he's the governor. So I think that we had one of the better relationships. And as a matter of fact, uh, when I became governor, I talked to him a few times about different things I was doing just to get his opinion. And, you know, we maintained the relationship even after us, we both left office. But that's infrequent. That's unusual that that actually happens. However, with Governor Hochul's personality and also being that she was a lieutenant governor herself, I get the feeling that she and uh, uh, the new lieutenant governor, Delgado, are going to repeat the relationship that Spitzer and I had. I was going to ask you that because he's got, uh, you know, he's got an impressive background. He comes from Congress. Obviously, Washington and Albany are different places. But do you think he may have uh, argued for a bigger portfolio to make this jump uh, in joining her administration? Well, as yet, we don't know what his portfolio is. And I think the reason that it's taking a little longer in this case is that Spitzer and I were running together uh, for governor and lieutenant governor. And so we were around each other before we took office for about six to eight months. And in that time, I think we got to know each other. I think he knew uh, where he thought I would be effective. And I think I knew where I wanted him to to focus and allow me to to assist him. And so they probably will. This will be organic. It'll it'll work over its place in time. But I think if they have each other's trust and 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 they have a mission and right now, they have more problems to worry about what's going on in the governor's office because they're both running. What they better worry about is how to get uh, Antonio Delgado's name better known in New York City where it's not known. And that's not his fault. That's just the reality of the situation. And Governor Hochul herself has to stave off some challenges in a primary. And there will be a challenger in the general election. Former New York Governor David Patterson. The entire interview is available at WAMC.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Ian Pickus. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Well, New York Governor Kathy Hochul mm. chose Hudson Valley Congressman Antonio Delgado to be her lieutenant yeah. governor. Of course, you've spoken to Congressman Delgado for the congressional corner. He will be the new pick after the previous LG, Brian Benjamin, resigned in disgrace last month. Makes you wonder what Delgado's calculus is here in terms of not running again for Congress. Well, there are a couple of things that could be. And of course, it could be that Delgado felt and the people around him felt that he was vulnerable and that the Republicans were going to run a strong race against him. And this was a good way out. In addition, it means that there will be nobody on the ticket from New York City. We have a Buffaloian and we have a Hudson Valleyan who will be the ticket. 
Whether that means that the impetus for election will be strong, I don't know. But it is an interesting phenomenon, and we'll see whether or not it turns out, for example, that the Republicans take that congressional seat. So, yes, I think this is a very interesting political phenomenon. Let's go to an editorial from the Times Union this week. Put New Yorkers first. New York has a mess on its hands thanks to the gerrymandered election maps Democrats so shamelessly drew. Those maps, signed into law by Governor Hochul, were tossed last week by the Court of Appeals. That was the right decision. But now, New York voters face the prospect of two primaries, one on June 28th for gubernatorial and other races unaffected by the ruling, and another in August for congressional and state Senate races. That's unacceptable. Of course it's unacceptable, David, because what happens is that if you have too many elections or if you have elections like this at different times and we don't know what's going to happen, then what happens is that uh, you have a mess on your hands and people don't come out to vote. You know, it's hard enough in this country to get people to vote in a presidential election, which is our most important, at least according to most people, election, which they turn out for. Only about half the people do it little bit more than half sometimes, sometimes less. So this is a bad thing because what it does is it undermines our faith in the election system and in New York government, which has never been a popular subject for an awful lot of people. This is bad news. New York Governor Kathy Hochul this week as a result of the leak of the draft opinion from the Supreme Court on Roe versus Wade that looks like it's threatened now, she says will be a safe haven. And we know there are going to be a number of states further dividing the country that will become, if this happens, safe havens for women needing the procedure. Well, you know, the concept of a safe haven is a good one, but what about all those women, daughters, mothers, sisters, who are in unsafe, quote, states? What about all of them? So yes, if somebody can afford a ticket and can get a doctor's appointment in New York, none of these are easy fixes. Yeah, that will be, that'll be good for those who can. But how about all those who can't? And so New York is great to have offered this protection. But I have to say, it sure doesn't make me comfortable. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. A task force examining New York's limousine safety rules held its third meeting last week. Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard reports it came just after the governor extended the deadline for the task force's final report. New York's Stretch Limousine Passenger Safety Task Force has been examining the state's limo safety rules, several of which were passed in the wake of the Schoharie tragedy that killed 20 in 2018. At the third meeting of the 11-member body Friday, several topics were reviewed, including the aging out of stretch limousines, GPS tracking on out-of-service limos, enacted legislation on limo safety, safety equipment including seatbelts, interagency coordination, driver impairment, and consumer awareness and outreach. But as with previous meetings, there were disagreements on the panel. 
David Brown, president and CEO of Albany-based limo operator Premier Transportation, said it's not more regulations that are needed but better enforcement. Brown, who also serves as vice president of limousine taxi bus operators of upstate New York, said the stretch limousine industry is down over 60 percent. This is from our statistics with the National Limousine Association is that we hurt the mom and pops. These were the weekend warriors that had the stretch limousines on the weekend. They might be the person who worked at the school cafeteria but ran the limousines uh, on the weekend. And we've seen dramatic decline. And we can only attribute this to, you know, they're trying to keep up with the compliance of these laws. Brown's assertions were challenged by Nancy DeMonte, whose daughter was seriously injured in a crash that killed four on Long Island in 2015. Survival of the fittest, that's what it's about. That's all you can really say to a person who's had such tragedy because of a needless, needless, needless situation, which it was. I mean, there's no excuse for what happened in Long Island or Schoharie. There's none you could possibly give me. It, it, there's just there's nothing you could say. So I do respect that about the small business. But if you can't cut it, then you have to maybe you have to get out. On the topic of interagency coordination, Joan McDonald, Westchester County Director of Operations, discussed the use of technology. One of the most important points for us to understand with the, the transmission of data is the accessibility of that data uh, from people who are in the field whether it's uh, a DOT inspector, uh, New York State Police, uh, local public safety, uh, to have that data at their fingertips as they're doing their, their jobs, not in an office, but out in the field. Brown was pleased to hear about efforts to enhance communication between the State Departments of Transportation and Motor Vehicles and New York State Police. I think this interagency communication is by far the most important factor that we're dealing with. The task force, created by legislation signed by then-Governor Andrew Cuomo in 2020, held its first meeting in February after sitting idle. Last October, Governor Kathy Hochul revived the effort by announcing four appointees on the three-year anniversary of the Schoharie crash. After the task force got a delayed start, Hochul this week signed legislation extending the deadline for its final recommendations to October 1st. Following the three task force meetings that were closed to public input, a public hearing will be held. No date has been set, but it was suggested Friday that a hearing be held in late May. State DMV Commissioner Mark Schroeder is co-chair of the task force. I do believe that the public has a lot to offer. And so this is the reason why I think going forward, we, we allow that to take place as soon as, soon as possible, and then we reconvene and we go over all of the things that we have said, things that are important to us that we want to go forward with. On Monday, U.S. House Representatives Paul Tonko and Elise Stefanik announced that the FBI will open an investigation into the Schoharie crash. The Capital Region lawmakers had asked the FBI to answer questions related to its relationship with the family that owned the limo involved in the crash. The owner of company Prestige Limousine, Shahed Hussein, was a longtime confidential informant for the FBI. A New York Magazine article published in January suggested Hussein and his family were shielded by the FBI. The operator of the limo company, 
Hussein's son, Naman, took a plea deal in September for 20 counts of criminally negligent homicide and 1,000 hours of community service for his role in the crash. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. On May 1st, 2021, the New York Department of Environmental Conservation, working with the Adirondack Mountain Reserve or Sable Club, launched a pilot program requiring reservations for parking at the club's parking lots, a popular access point for hikers heading to the Adirondack High Peaks. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more. The Adirondack Mountain Reserve Sable Club is a 7,000-acre private club near the Adirondack High Peaks Wilderness Area. An easement allows public access to specific Forest Preserve trailheads. Reservations for parking are required at the reserve's parking lots along Route 73. The pilot first ran between May 1st and October 31st, 2021. Adirondack Mountain Reserve General Manager John Schuler says it was implemented with three goals. One, it was safety along the Route 73 corridor. Two, it was to provide fair and equitable access to parking. And three, it was to help uh, preserve the Adirondack Mountain Reserve as private lands, as well as public lands for future generations to come. And not only was it to preserve the, the lands, but also preserve the experience that one has when, when they hike in nature. And all of those three objectives of the pilot were easily met. Essex County Board of Supervisors Chair Sean Gilliland says the first phase was mostly successful, although he says there were growing pains. People showing up and not knowing, anecdotally I heard. There were also some coordination issues uh, with the parking lot in our shuttle. Hikers coming up, visitors that didn't really understand if there was a relationship between the AMR parking and the reservations and the hiker shuttle. By the end of the season, I think those, those questions probably got worked out. You know, yes, I say in the end it was a success, but I think there's going to be more growing pains um, as we institute a number of these uh, high peaks congestion uh, measures, such as the shuttle and the front country stewards and the reservation system. Gilliland says the pilot is vitally important and more information is needed to determine the reservation system's effectiveness. I just don't think after just one year, a partial year last year, that we really had enough data, how many hikers, where they were going, what they were doing, you know, who took advantage of the reservation system and the shuttles, at least on the shuttle side. We did learn that we need to get the word out more. Uh, We need to plan earlier and showed where we really needed to go to work. Um, The town of Keene and the county and county transportation have been working closely with with D.C. and D.O.T. on trying to get the the second year going and, and, and taking a look at areas that we might pilot any other routes as well. As the new season launches, Schuler says there are no longer what's called rolling closes in the reservation system. We're trying to make it so that more people have access if people cancel and things such as that and to try to meet that spontaneity factor that there was some concern about. A link to the Hiker Reservation Portal is at WAMC.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley.
are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The Albany County City of Cohoes is using a novel technology as it works toward an energy-independent future. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports. The Cohoes Floating Solar Project has been in the planning stages for about a year. Tuesday, it received a major boost with the announcement by National Grid that the utility has earmarked $750,000 to advance the model clean energy project. National Grid Executive Director Lori Poltinsky says the money is part of its Renewable Energy and Economic Development Grant Program. This is the largest amount of money we were able to award through any of our economic development programs, and so it's quite significant for us as well. Our funding not only supports the innovative floating solar array in the city of Cohoes, but it provides funding to RPI to expand an an interactive map of similar reservoir locations across New York State that have the potential to host similar floating solar projects and increase the amount of renewable energy for our New York customers. 8,000 solar panels will cover two-thirds of the 10-acre city reservoir located by the Cohoes filtration plant at a cost of $5.9 million. Democratic Mayor Bill Keeler says the city is pursuing additional government and foundation funding required to complete the project. Well, we're working on it uh, tirelessly. I mean, we're 70% of the way there. We'll get there. We're not stopping now. Come too far. The Spindle City was previously awarded $3 million in federal community project grant funding secured by Senator Chuck Schumer and Congressman Paul Tonko, both Democrats. Tonko says once operational, the solar array will help the city meet 100 percent of its energy demand for municipal facilities and streetlights. The deployment of solar energy, of photovoltaic arrays, um, brings a great merit in the amount of generation that obviously feeds into the overall energy uh, picture for this country, certainly for this state, and with the community being able to share some of that, not only beyond having all the energy produced for their needs, but sharing it with the Cohoes Central School System and with the Housing Authority is just value-added to the effort. Keeler says the solar panels on the reservoir will help stem evaporation and fewer chemicals will need to be added to the water. And if anything, the installation will be a plus for local wildlife. Citing supply chain issues, Keeler did not set a date for completion of the project. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, Call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2218. Or just listen at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.